Okay, so hello everyone. Welcome to Brichem Indonesia webinar series in love with English football, unique and exclusive insights. I am Asti Events Coordinator at Brichem Indonesia. And today we are very delighted to welcome our three panelists. Mark Pelios, Chairman of Tranmere Rovers and former CEO of the Football Association. Emmanuel Alwanandi, Director of Santini Group and investor at Tranmere Rovers. And last but not least, Anindya Bakri, CEO and President Director of PT Bakri and Brothers TBK and investor at Oxford United. Today's session will be moderated by Chris Ren, the Executive Director of Bridgem Indonesia. And before we start, allow me to review the functionality of this webinar. Today's webinar is being recorded and we will share a link with you when it's available after the event is complete. All participants will be muted to avoid background noises that may distract you from listening to this webinar and also to enable our panelists to present without interruption. And if you have any questions, please type them into the Q&A box at any time. It is located at the bottom center of your screen. And we will have time for Q&A session at the end to answer your questions. Okay, now I'm going to hand the screen over to Chris Ren, our Executive Director, who is going to start today's webinar. Thank you very much, uh, Asti, um, and to my team for great assistance in putting this on. Um, I'd like to particularly welcome all our BritCham members uh, and guests uh, from the entire extended community of the British Chamber of Commerce here in Indonesia. Uh, a particular welcome to Mark Palius, who's uh, over in the Wirral in the UK, to Emmanuel Wanandi, uh, better known as Wandi, um, and also to uh, Anindya Bakri, better known as Anin. Thanks very much for, for joining me. Um, as Asti had mentioned to you, uh, there'll be plenty of opportunity for you to put in some questions and answers during the course of this uh, webinar. So please feel free to do so where possible. We might invite one or two of the questioners to actually put their own questions directly rather than through me. Um, that'll be at the discretion of ASTI and technology. Um, and also we have received some questions in advance. Um, so they'll be bundled up as well and uh, addressed by me. Um, this webinar is called In Love with English Football, Unique and Exclusive Insights. I think for everybody in Indonesia, there is huge familiarity with the Premier League. Tens and tens of millions uh, tune in to watch uh, Premier League games as they're uh, beamed out um, live, uh, either on free-to-air or on various types of um, uh, pay-per-view channels. Uh, in Indonesia, but perhaps there isn't too much understood uh, about what it takes to get into the Premier League. And uh, what it takes is uh, a very, very strong business environment and business infrastructure, and more often than not, uh, international interest and international investment. And we'll be taking uh, a look at that. Um, to, to begin with, though, I'd like to uh, first of all, address this particular webinar and my early questions to Mark Palias. And, and I do this because um, in the current 
phase of English football having been shut down because of the uh, global pandemic. Um, it, it can be regarded as any business in a, some sort of crisis. Um, as mentioned by Asti, uh, Marcus had a very, very prominent role with the Football Association um, in the past. And, and I think I'd like to begin uh, with Mark by asking if you could, Mark, please, just do a little bit of scene setting on what goes on at the Football Association, what your role was, uh, and perhaps just without going into too much uh, uh, detail and, and stripping things uh, too close to the bones, um, what the particular challenges were that I presume led to you moving on and moving out. Mark, you're on, you're on mute, yes. Mark. Yeah. Sorry. It's down to me. How's that? Okay. The, um, yeah, the, the, the first thing is that um, I suppose I went into the FA at, a, at a, a difficult time for the FA. They were insolvent. They had to build Wembley and so forth. And so it was a, it was a pretty unique time. They, they, um, my background was that yes i've been a professional footballer for 15 17 years um but also i was a, a, a turnaround specialist at price waterhouse keeper so i was asked to go in to to help fix a, a, the fa which was uh, bankrupt at the time so um really the issues then uh if i if i gave you my agenda you'd probably go well yeah you know we saw that sven was being courted by abramovich we saw that you had the first england player strike and real ferdinand was banned from were banned from actually playing um, for England at the time for eight months, etc., and so forth and so on. And that'd be the agenda that you would see. But the reality was, I needed to find 27 million in 21 days. Otherwise, the whole Wembley thing would crater. They had, uh, they were about to take on 130 million of debt, etc. So there were a lot of issues underneath that that I really went in to fix. And um, as regards the, um, we changed the disciplinary system, which hadn't been changed since the 1970s. Um, and having been a pro myself, I knew that one of the complaints was that there was no professional football that sat inside uh, the FA that was then opining on, on disciplinary matters, et cetera, so forth. So there, there were a lot of issues in there that, that we were dealing with. We did quite a bit. Um, but the reality is that um, we didn't fundamentally change anything that was uh, what I would call the general structure around the industry in the UK, the governance, et cetera. And we never really got to some of the thorny issues when I was there, which I still think haven't been addressed. And that is, you know, the strength of the Premier League, for example, and the fact that they bankroll most of the game with the television bodies that they get in influence things. Um, so that was that was the uh, the context of what I was went I went in to do. We built Wembley. We changed the disciplinary system. We had a very successful off the field and in Euro 2004, um, which we, we should have. I think we should have won that competition. But there you go. Football's football. Um, and, and that was really my time at the FA. And, and since that, I've, I've come out and, and sort of worked in the city as um, uh, doing turnarounds until I came back to Tranmere in nearly six years ago now. I can't hear you, Chris. You're on mute. Uh, you're on mute. Um, and over that period of time, Mark, that you haven't been, been there, uh, what have you observed as the progressions or regressions of the Football Association? I think that, you know, um, and, and this I'll come on to this in a bit in terms of the way forwards. In fact, I've just written to them today 
uh, on our own position because um, I think it's fair to say that uh, to some extent I felt the FA has actually ceded territory to the professional game in a way that um, is not helpful to the game necessarily. Uh, I can understand that on the basis that they see that you know, the Premier League do fund most things. Um, but I think if, if you look at in terms of the, uh, the context that we've got now, which is the pandemic, and you stand back, and people will stand back, and certainly I, I'm one of the advocates of this, and you look at uh, football's collective response to the pandemic, it's not been very good. It's been very fractured. It's been, you know, in our own particular case, you can see the self-interest that's in there. And there has been a, an inability of all of the relevant sort of football bodies, such as the FL, the Premier League, the PFA, uh, the LMA, to get together and really provide a coherent response. And, and within that, I think, and this is what I would say to the FA, they need to step up or step aside. So potentially, you know, when you look at how the game has responded to this, one of the biggest changes that you might find coming out is that there is a regulator imposed in some way into the structure that will then start to change the way in which the game is, is, is governed. Uh, okay, Mark. Um, that, thanks for that response. And, and for the purpose of really stimulating some questions for later, uh, I'd just like to fast track and we will come back and expand. Um, what we've noticed with the development of English-British football has been a lot of change um, the, the, the catalyst has been some form of crisis, whether it's been Hillsborough, a Bradford fire in the past. Um, these have been the things that have really focused minds through inquiries and so on. Um, and there have been changes for the better, changes that have actually led to English football being absolutely on top of the world at the moment. Without going into detail, Mark, could you just identify two or three changes that you might like to see come out of deliberation of this fragmented and uh, fractured um, response to COVID that you referred to earlier? Yeah, I mean, let's, let's not beat about the bush. The very fact that the Premier League is, is, is as dominant as it is has been a fantastic job in terms of marketing a league. Uh, and what happens is you then pass the money down into the pyramid system in the, in, in the UK, England, basically. Uh, and that pyramid, I think, is, is, is part of the envy of the world, the strength and depth that goes right the way through. And those clubs, such as ourselves, are rooted in the 19th century, uh, and they started in villages and communities and so forth. So that's a massive part of the fabric. And what's been shaky over the years is as... Um, you know, the top end of the pyramid, the top end of the Premier League, even within the Premier League itself, uh, those companies are global companies who have access to global revenues. Unfortunately and unfortunately, one of the attractions of the pyramid is the link through um, promotion and relegation right the way through. So on the, on the, on the supply side, on the wages side, they can spend that spending power that they get from access to global markets that other people don't have. In, in the wages market, which then rattles all the way down to the smallest clubs. So we're all affected by that. What's happened over the years is gaps have been created. You know, the principal gaps from the championship into the, into the, into the premiership. So you see the ridiculous statistics that all businessmen will recognize where wages are 107% of turnover. Forget overheads, forget all the other expenses. That's in the championship. So what's happening in English football over the years, those gaps have increased. Now with ambition, which is the lifeblood of the game, gaps, 
poor regulation of the key market, which is the wages market, you get a lethal cocktail. And so I'm, I'm hopeful, and it's already starting to happen in the lower leagues, that um, there will be uh, much more restraints on player wages. Because once you actually can restrain that, um, you will actually get a position whereby your clubs are, can be self-sustainable. The clubs at the moment put no um, strength into their balance sheet in as much that they live hand to mouth just to compete. And as a consequence, you know, you see that when you hit with a, with, with a pandemic. I was, as an accountant, I was asked years ago, what's the level of gearing that you require? And the answer is to have enough fat on your back to ride a run of bad luck. So now we come into the pandemic and these clubs that were struggling financially anyway are really struggling. And I think that I would hope that the player wages, which is the fundamental element uh, to this, is actually going to be radically changed. The second thing that I'd like to see change is the governance, which I've already touched on. Um, you might actually see some more England players playing in, in higher up in the leagues, uh, because if the player wages market um, um, flattens in this country, then you might see more England players coming through. And there are some changes that I would anticipate. Um, question on TV monies going forwards. Question on the battle between straight media monies and streaming. Question on the habits of fans in terms of going to away matches or, or, or watching streams. Um, uh, we're all doing much more online, such as this. So they're the types of things that will impact. And if the wages market goes again, then player values will probably drop as well. So that whole thing, um, it, it, there's not one panacea, but I think if you can see the, the wages market being pulled back under control, then that will be a lot more healthy, uh, and certainly in terms of the, um, the pyramid itself here in the UK. Um, thanks very much, Mark. So for, for the benefit of uh, our participants on, on this webinar, if you've got any thoughts or questions around this issue of wages and a wages cap, um, something that exists in other sports um, and other parts of the world, then, you know, please pop your questions up. Likewise with governance, if you have any uh, particular thoughts or questions or comments to make around the TV money, the media aspect, um, and the development of different types of technology and media and how they influence habits of fans, then again, please, um, please post your questions. Um, so our other two panelists, um, uh, two Indonesian gentlemen who uh, represent two very well-known and respected business families um, here in Indonesia. Um, uh, Wandi representing the Santini Group, uh, which is a group that's into automotive um, uh, infrastructure, property, hospitality, um, and in Bakri, uh, the Bakri Group, uh, very, very prominent in mining, steel, um, media. Um, I, I'd like to bring them into this conversation now and perhaps uh, begin with Anin. Um, Anin, you uh, you represent Bakri and its interest, which I understand, together with partners, is around about 30% of Oxford United Football Club. Um, I, I think the obvious question is, why did you get interested in English football and why was that interest in the lower leagues? Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak in this uh, nice forum. I cannot say I'm an uh, expert in English football, but I can say that uh, my family has been uh, quite uh, involved uh, with uh, football around the world, including English football. Not many people know that we actually invested in Leicester City 2010 to 2012. So at least we learned a little bit early on that we should be uh, patient. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. Same uh, Thai partners. So anyway, um, Oxford, uh, 
good branding, uh, 130 years, uh, good community in the area, about 50,000 uh, people uh, study and live there. And then, you know, we thought that it is uh, quite exciting to invest along with another uh, or actually a couple of uh, Southeast Asian uh, investors, uh, some from Thailand and then some from Vietnam. So it is uh, a group of us uh, who believe in English football. And we think if we start from the uh, lower league, in this case, uh, League One, uh, it is such a sweet spot to start experimenting what can be done, right? Uh, whether on and off the pitch, how to run it well, how to learn from the best, but at the same time, uh, we take it as we go. Uh, we have seen a lot of uh, successes in the past, uh, whether that's uh, Sheffield United, Bournemouth, uh, uh, all those clubs. So we're of course inspired, but uh, you know we take one step at a time, and. Uh, uh, we're very hopeful. Uh, you know, the next 11 days will be very important for us. Uh, we have three games and who knows, uh, we, can, we can go to the next step. So we appreciate your love of English football. I think very few people would have known um, that your lack of patience with Leicester, we didn't know you had an association. Um, just a little bit more patience might have, um, might have seen you with a hand on a particular trophy that's a bit of a pinnacle. Um, aside from passion, Anin, um, what other drivers are there? I mean, I think where where we're looking to drill down to here are the synergies with the uh, with the other business units. Um, are the synergies with uh, your international relations par uh, partners? Maybe uh, do you have? Uh, visions in terms of the domestic game. Um, what, what, what else is there apart from the family's passion and you and other partners' passion? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, when we look at the uh, UK, it is uh, the origin of industrialization as a whole uh, when it comes to uh, economy, right? And um, we have been also an industrialist in the last uh, uh, almost 80 years. And we think there are a lot of uh, synergies that can be done, even at the time when people talk about, you know, Brexit uh, coming up uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, we think a lot of synergies in terms of uh, know-how, capital, and that's basically what Indonesia needs. And to understand more uh, about, uh, you know, um, uh, England, English people, what better way uh, to do it than football? I mean, like the, uh, High Royal Highness say Prince William that maybe football is one of the best uh, power unifying uh, the world. Um, so that's just uh, uh, one uh, obvious uh, thing that I see. Another thing uh, is that in terms of uh, UK uh, uh, capital market, London uh, Stock Exchange, is actually quite uh, international and advanced. Just in the last uh, three years, uh, we actually see a lot of Indonesian bonds. We call it Komodo bonds, the Komodo dragon bonds. Uh, it's actually uh, uh, traded there. Uh, that's just one example how, uh, you know, um, London Stock Exchange is actually more advanced than some of the uh, international stock exchange. So we think there's a lot of similarities, a lot of uh, um, synergies, collaboration ideas. And, and I think, uh, and I do have personal interest also going there. I have uh, two of my uh, uh, kids already go uh, to uh, high school there. So uh, all stars are aligned, so to speak, Chris. 
Okay, th thanks very much. Um, somebody's commented on my wavy hair looking quite stupid with the backdrop in, in the background. So I, I might try and lose that um, for the benefit of that uh, visitor. There've been some really interesting questions come in already and, and I will revert to some of them very, very shortly. Um, but uh, I'd like to bring in uh, Wandy here. Um, Oxford, I think most people outside the UK know Oxford because of the university, if nothing else, if they know nothing about football. There isn't a Tranmere University, um, or, or at least as far as I know. Um, yeah, college. <laughs> not, not yet. Um, Wandy, how did you come to, to be aware of the opportunity of Tranmere and subsequently become uh, confident to want to be an investor in the club? Well, thank you for the opportunity, Chris. Uh, basically, um, football is a hobby for me in the beginning. So it was basically, um, besides um, I'm having uh, a few customers in, in the UK, I also go to the UK quite a lot to watch football. So um, um, a friend of mine um, uh, went to me and then we had a discussion of uh, um, maybe investing in English football, and then um, you know, and you know, it, it was it was it was a very quick um, how can I say it's a, it was a very quick connection and also was a very quick decision with uh, me and uh, and Mark. Um, we started last April um, and we we became investor in uh, in August. So. Um, you know, we, you know, I, I thought it was, you know, uh, I, I didn't know Tranmere before uh, because it's in uh, League Two um, uh, last year. And then, um, you know, we got together. Um, I was invited into Tranmere to watch, the, to watch the game and then met with Mark. And then, yeah, it, it just clicked. And, um, you know, uh, and it happened to be in Liverpool, so which is uh, my team. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was, just, it was just very, very, very quick. Okay, and um, Wandy, Mark mentioned earlier that um, there is a business twinning uh, sister uh, relationship between Surabaya and Liverpool. Um, Tranmere is just across the Mersey from uh, Liverpool. And, and definitely in the business context is, is very much a part of the city. What, was that in any way part of the influence uh, in your decision, the, the relationship with Surabaya and East Java? Uh, not really, because um, I didn't know Liverpool was a sister city of Surabaya until I went there. Um, uh, it was basically, um, it was basically a business decision. It was a little bit of hobby also. I wanted to learn, you know, how to run a, um, the business. Um, I really didn't have any idea about, um, you know, the footballing business. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's the reason why um, we went into Tranmere. Um, I guess we partnered with um, one of the best, um, you know, uh, uh, owners, you know, in English football. So, um, you know, uh, but you know, as far as Surabaya is concerned, and it was it, it was a G two G. Um, from my understanding, it was a G 
G2G project. It was not a, it was not a private um, uh, project. So it, 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 you know, my, my decision was not, was not because of Surabaya. All right, th thank you, Wendy. I'm, I'm gonna flip this question over a little bit to, to Mark. Um, I mean, unless a business or an individual has cause to be engaged with Indonesia, they don't know much about the country. Um, so to, to what extent was the Surabaya the influencing thing for you from what you'd heard about L Liverpool and Indonesia? Um, and as, as an owner wanting to be quite careful uh, about what investors to accept into your fold and, and needing to share same values and so on. Um, how did you take care of the development of that relationship and the values of your, your, your club? Uh, well, it's um, it, it, the whole, the whole issue in terms of why we went into, into, into Indonesia was that um, in coming to turn around this place, you, you look at the potential of the club and one of the potentials of the club was to leverage off um, my background at the FA in terms of development, development and also the club's development of players as well and the fact that Merseyside is, is um, and the northwest of England is what I call a unique piece of football in geography whereby it's the birthplace of, uh, as Annie was saying, it's the birthplace of not only the industrial revolution but also the professional game etc. So um, we were, we, we've developed a, a, an international side to what we do. We were already in China working with the Inner Mongolian government who are the uh, pilot province for the development of, of um, uh, what they call campus football grassroots basically in China um, and we were asked to contribute to the city's twinning with Surabaya we went over there and um, you know from our perspective if I'm looking at you know where we're trying to go we're also been in the states for the last year so we have China the states and Surabaya so three of you know the top sort of most populous countries in the world great markets for us. Um, so that was one aspect to it, but it was, it was serendipitous. You know, we went to, we went to Surabaya, we met with Mayor Rizma and um, she was very instrumental in sending um, a team of um, elite uh, kids over from Surabaya uh, with two of their coaches as part of our international program. So we started to train them just as we trained Chinese coaches and we had American kids over and so forth. And they came over and it was when they came over actually that, uh, He's now a mutual friend of both Wandy's and mine, uh, Simon. He 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 sort of introduced the fact that um, Wandy uh, was looking to put a toe in the water in terms of English football. So it was it was as serendipitous as that. We met, and as and as Wandy says, we we clicked. It was it was one of those things whereby what's important to us. We came back to this is a club I played for for many years, and and, what, and one of the problems in English football is the um, the the lack of. Um, quality control over investors into clubs, if I put it that way. And uh, we were approached by quite a number of um, people who, uh, if anybody watches English football, you probably know these people because they've been around sniffing around clubs and, and they, they are of dubious origin, should we say. So we, we met with, with Wandy and it's one of those things whereby, you know, when you get to, to, to know um, the family, you know that their values, et cetera, are exactly what we want to do. I know we've had the conversation and, and you sort of, um, verified our choice as it were but it was one of those things where you, you, you just know and there was a synergy I Nikki said to me I was fairly harsh in our first meeting when, when we when we sat down one day and we had uh, 
we had a lunch and she said, I was, I was saying, well, well why, why are you interested? Because it was an obvious question to ask, so let, let's ask the question. And Wandy was totally honest about what he was wanting to do. And, and um, so it was that, it was very much getting the right person um, uh, with the connections in Indonesia. Then, of course, one of our focuses is now Indonesia compared to where it was, which was just China and the US to start with. Um, and, you know, we hope that we, we can develop that relationship in terms of both out, outbound stuff that we do in Indonesia. And we already um, won the organized, um, together with Valentino, who's well known as a, a sports commentator in, 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 in Indonesia, he organized a tournament uh, just before COVID started. And of course, everything's gone on hold with COVID, but you know, we are very optimistic about the developments of um, our relationship in Indonesia, as well as you know, vice versa in terms of doing what we, we initially intended, which was to use the Northwest of England as a place where you can have football tourism or you can have elite developments and we can do both mm. of those. Okay, thanks Mark. Um, Anin um, was uh, with me about 18 months or so ago, maybe a little bit less. Um, in the UK, uh, he was representing CADIN, which is the national counterpart in Indonesia of the British Chamber of Commerce. Um, and uh, we, we certainly all do appreciate the, the value that having an engagement with English football can have on the reputation of uh, Indonesia, which as we know, we, we just agreed is a country that is perhaps not so well known and needs some better PR. Um, would you say, uh, Anin, that your relationship with English football has, has helped this bilateral knowledge, but more particularly knowledge of Indonesia and, and what's going on and what the opportunities are there? Well, uh, Chris, it is uh, certainly a uh, conversation uh, starter uh, for those who know. Uh, um, we don't necessarily advertise it that much. Um, but, um, you know, just in general, uh, I think there are so many things uh, that can be done between the two countries. And, and I think the two countries can learn from each other. And as Indonesia is going up the value chain in general, uh, I think Yuka uh, uh, has a lot to offer. And we find that in the last uh, uh, 18 months since our visit, actually a couple of developments, uh, quite uh, frankly, uh, are beyond my expectation. You know, we got uh, halted a little bit with the uh, COVID-19 in the last uh, three months. Uh, but, um, you know, this is uh, one of the examples that the uh, private sector, as well as the government sector from uh, both uh, uh, countries and actually cities as well. I think you mentioned about Surabaya and I'm not surprised that uh, Jakarta can also be uh, a part of it uh, at one point in time very soon. Because when we went to uh, London, uh, we went to see uh, uh, the city mayor uh, and uh, he was actually quite familiar, he has visited Indonesia and quite familiar uh, uh, with, with, uh, with the city or the country. So, so Chris, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm very hopeful that a lot of things uh, uh, can be done uh, within the two countries. And, and like I said, um, it's, it's very much uh, exciting and, uh, and full of fun also uh, to be able to be a part of the uh, history, uh, uh, like what Mark says about uh, football. Uh, Wow, could be a bit of a lottery as to which football club might be associated with a twinning with the city of London, but we'll, we'll set that one aside for now. Um, I, I'm starting to try and tie in some questions to comments that have been made by each of you. And I think a fair question has, has come up here, uh, which uh, can go to uh, Wandy and uh, Anin. 
At what stage do you think that wealthy investors uh, might decide to invest into local football, and they designate that as Indonesia or Malaysia, um, rather than looking to the European or, or British football? Well, I think uh, it's Wendy. A, I think it's a, it, 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 it's possible. Yeah, I mean, we're always, you know, in, in terms of uh, um, opportunities. I think uh, we're always looking for different opportunities. I think uh, same thing with Anin uh, as a as a businessman. I think the, you know, we will probably have the, the same uh, the same viewpoint. Um, so we're not really, um, you know, it's just at the moment um, we're not really looking into that because uh, we have other business that we have to run. Um, the, the, the football or the uh, the Tramir uh, issue or the, the Tramir um, 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 stakeholders is basically just a coincidence. It was, um, it was, it happened very quickly, you know, and um, it was not, um, we're, 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 we're a minority there. Uh, um, we don't run the business uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. We, we, we left Mark um, uh, with Mark. So, but you know, um, you know, to answer your question, I think it's still possible. Um, you know, uh, if the opportunity arises, and um, you know, if, if everything clicks, you know, as I said before, uh, I think it's possible to do. So, Anin, if I could just tag on something to that question, both of you have mentioned that one of the reasons why you chose lower league clubs is it's a it's a logical uh, better risk managed way of getting experience and knowledge about the business of football do you think there will so adding to that question do you think there will come a time when you will exercise that knowledge and experience in the domestic game in indonesia yeah chris uh, actually um as I mentioned, uh, that I'm actually quite new in football, but my family has been there for a while. Uh, we have invested in a couple of uh, uh, football teams in local uh, league, uh, the Premier League of the local league, and the latest one being Presija, which is the Jakarta team, uh, which is one of the uh, you know top two, top three uh, elite uh, teams uh, in the country. I mean, like at least uh, in three areas I can think of as we are discussing. Uh, in terms of professionalism, uh, I think we have a lot to learn in running a club or in running a league, let alone, um, you know, international uh, standard uh, for national football, right? And the second thing also, uh, I think commercialization of, of, of football needs to be enhanced uh, in the country because at the end of the day, that will help uh, the sustainability uh, of of, of, of of making sure that the players' well-being are taken care uh, and the uh, satisfaction of the audience uh, is being, um, you know, uh, taken care as well. And lastly, uh, I think um, this is also uh, the passion of my um, my partner, including in uh, Oxford United, uh, Eric Tohir, who uh, used to own Inter Milan as well as. Uh, this United, uh, he thinks that one day, you know, uh, sports has to be an industry in Indonesia uh, because, you know, you have a good 52 million people watching football every weekend. You have 20 to 25% of the uh, big MUs, Chelsea's, Arsenal's fans around the world actually in Indonesia and so on and so forth, right? 
it'll be sad if we cannot uh, just bring up the uh, sophistication and turn that uh, to become a very competitive. Uh, at the end of the day, we gotta win some uh, some games, right? Uh, uh, it'll be uh, a pity if we can uh, we cannot materialize that. So, I think uh, expertise from you know Mark and also passion from Wandi and I and many others. Uh, you know, the more the merrier. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, you've now raised the the issue of. Uh, commerciality and uh, getting more mature from a commercial point of view. Um, a, a question coming in from uh, uh, Rob Davis, who uh, is very closely associated with both the uh, organizations airing um, uh, EPL uh, in Indonesia and the domestic football scene as well. And, and he asks, I think, a very relevant question, and maybe Mark might be the first to answer this. And and in from, from the perspective of uh, having a media um, element to your business also. Many see this period of the price EPL rights as now being out of touch with the broadcasters and in turn the watching public. Given that social media platforms bid last time around streaming rights, what does the panel think will be the new business model for the game to be aired? Are they comfortable? with the American giants, uh, such as YouTube, Google, Facebook, and so on, getting their hands on this asset of national importance. Mark first. Right, I, I may disappoint in the answer. It's not really my area of expertise. I'll leave, I'll leave all this to the guys who can deal with this. All I would say that from my view is that um, what one of the aspects of, of the of football in, in the UK, and I, I speak about the UK or, or England, and that is that um, the solidarity in terms of the money that comes in, it's shared out to a greater extent than it is in other leagues. So in, in the likes of um, Spain, I think the extent to which it's shared out is, is dramatically different because the clubs almost own the rights themselves, etc. Uh, one of the fundamental things that's been successful in, in English football has been the way and the extent to which television money is shared out for the collective. I think that that this is my major concern, and and, and lower down in the leagues such as ourselves, um, you know, a, there are two different animals. The ones in 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 the Premier League and probably in the even in the Championship now, the bigger clubs, they don't rely so much on the um, on the uh, the paying gates as we do down in leagues one and two. And there is a real split between the two. Um, I think one of the concerns lower down is that the, we, if we get into the position whereby the media rights currently, the TV rights are collectively bargained, whereas streaming rights are not, you'll then start to see a further divergence in terms of wealth. And then you know, the likes of Sunderland, for example, will be a lot richer than us relatively if, if, if this starts to happen. And I think the breakdown of the existing media markets, I think you, what you've got to look at is what I touched on before. In fact, you have some global players now in the Premier League. The top six are global players. And as a consequence, you know, I can actually see all of the moves from FIFA and UEFA, not just into European leagues, but actually into global leagues in some ways. So, you know, I think you're going to have a globalization at the very top of the game. Uh, and that's one dynamic that will, will clearly impact. Uh, in terms of um, the media rights going forwards, as I said, um, we, we do get 
a, a, a first share of us, say a first share, we do get a share of that here. Uh, and the problem is that, I mean, you, you will know as when I went to the FA, one of the things that struck me right between the eyes is um, if I'm, if I'm a businessman, my object is to kill off the competition. But actually, if I'm a sports administrator, my object is to reinvent that competition week in and week out, year in and year out. And it's getting that balance right that's the difficult thing when you have naked commercialism. And you have to accept that sport, to me, is, a, is one of those things, just like you have consumer protection legislation, you need competition legislation around sport because otherwise you're going to find that you'll be creamed off right to the top and you, you will destroy what I think, certainly in this country, is, is a real part of its fabric. And that is the, the extent to which, you know, here every every two weeks you know there's there's seven thousand people that are actively entertained you know there's probably twenty thousand people that are really interested in what's going on and so you know that I mean, these are small figures in terms of indonesia i know but they're big in terms of england so you know that that thing is, is one of the sad things i think will happen okay. uh, really. thanks and the, the big guys themselves you know we already know that they <laughs> they're very strong these large um um companies and and you know controlling that would be very difficult and so Anin, uh, with your media hat on um how do you see the future of uh football from the consumer's point of view um is there going to be an impact on attendances in places like indonesia and are you in any way worried about these um, american-owned giants as our as our questioner referred to them like youtube google and so on muscling in on the domestic opportunities yeah, I think like a lot of things, Chris, uh, there is pluses and negatives. Um, and uh, the, the biggest uh, worry is whether the increase of the rights uh, value of price will benefit uh, in improving the game uh, itself, right? Improving the state of the uh, game professionalism or the uh, club's uh, uh, competitiveness and so on. Uh, we own uh, two free-to-air stations, uh, which simply means that uh, people are watching it for free using antenna. And in 2014, um, we bought the rights for World Cup. And uh, we're not pleasantly uh, surprised by any mean, but uh, we paid probably top 10 in the world uh, in terms of the price uh, because of sheer uh, numbers of the uh, audience that we have. Right? Um, so those things happen, and even right now, EPL still has about probably 3 million uh, paying customers in Indonesia. Uh, but with all these uh, digital giants coming to the game um, uh, from overseas, uh, whether that's America or from um, uh, domestic also, uh, we'll, we'll change uh, the dynamic uh, a little bit. Uh, it, it makes a lot of the uh, media players have to think about other ways to monetize uh, the, uh, the payment that you have to make to purchase the right. Uh, but um, as I uh, mentioned, Chris, um, you know, all these things is, is nice and good. People will pay. Uh, but unless uh, we have some sort of uh, uh, give back or plow back uh, of all of this uh, money being paid uh, to the game, I think uh, it is a pity that the sports uh, is not going to improve uh, over time. Yeah. Thank you uh, for those two, two answers. Um, I suppose in the light of the bid that is on the table from Saudi Arabia for 
Newcastle United Football Club. I'm not sure how familiar any of you are with that. I'm bundling a number of questions together and I apologize to those who've put in the questions, but the logical way to do it. Um, and I'm relating this actually to Mark's experience of uh, Wandy and perhaps Anin's experience the other way round. Um, what sort of governance uh, has, uh, is exercised as standard with a foreign investor wanting to take an interest in, in a club? Um, was it in any way off-putting? Is it prohibitive? Um, and, uh, and, and the final part of that is, um, do you think more should be done uh, to deter dominance from, from certain countries. So, um, Mark, let's talk about, first of all, about the governance that you put in place in, in basically checking out um, the, the business interests and, uh, and so on of, of Wendy. If you're saying we, us personally, as opposed to uh, what as the EFL did. Pardon? As a club. As, as a club, yeah. Purely, it, it was... It was majorly left down to ourselves uh, and uh, I know that um, I think the extent to which um, the Premier League looks at things because they have more cash I think they probably do more than the EFL certainly did a few years ago when I looked at it in terms of they'll, they'll background check etc etc <coughs> we, we um, Molly won't be surprised we did, we did our own stuff but it was purely down to the fact that we have you know, uh, associate directors who have connections, who can research, etc. And um, you know, for us, we 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 checked out. We there are there have been a number of people that have come to us, and it doesn't take much in the days of the internet to go out and find uh, quite a bit on people. So it was really left down to the club to do it, and that's one of the one of one of the disadvantages of that. Uh, as it happens, you know, we we, we were happy to stumble across, you know. Um, the uh, the Wernandi family and uh, we understand and it, and it has a reputation and it has a it has a place in Indonesian politics that we all know and so it was quite easy for us to 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 do that and to and to check. I think for me the most important thing was the individual motivation of when I spoke to to Wendy as to what it did it did it fit did it make sense did I did I understand that and I think that's right. Um, in terms of the uh, what the EFL do, you you literally just send your um, you send the details of, of uh, the guys to the EFL. Um, I think one of the problems uh, we've had here in the UK is that um, it, 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 all, it all seems retrospective at times because somebody I've seen somebody sell up a club for a pound and pass the parcel. And the reality is when, when you ask the EFL what the situation is as regards checking these people out, well, they have to provide sufficiency of funds. I think it's within two weeks having taken over the club. But what happens if they haven't got sufficient funds at that time? They've taken over the club. So, you know, really the whole thing needs a root and branch change. And uh, there's some of the things that I think that will be looked at in the course of the next year because of you know, the combination of, of um, the problems that they've had with various clubs. Okay, so well, well, let's hope any investor would at least be able to come up with the pound as proof. Um, uh, Anin, um, did you find the process in any way onerous or intrusive or unfair or unwelcoming? I think it is uh, fair, uh, Chris. Um, uh, first of all, I think there is a natural uh, filter uh, when you want to invest in football overseas uh, in general. Because it is, uh, you know, you have to think of it as uh, 
an investment that is not like you're investing in a you know liquid financial instrument. Uh, so you have to believe that uh, you are in for the longer uh, term, right? Um, now, uh, the second thing uh, with EFL, I find the uh, process has been quite fair. They do uh, uh, background check, uh, especially when you are uh, nominated to become a board member. Um, um, they, they, they ask a couple of questions, uh, but in general, I think, uh, you know, they have done some diligence uh, on the potential board members, which I think is good. All right. Uh, now it makes me wonder, and I see some of the uh, questions in the Q&A, what can we do more in Indonesia to make sure this type of thing uh, in terms of governance, uh, in terms of uh, uh, diligence uh, uh, can be done? Because a lot of times uh, the quality of the clubs uh, may actually depend on the uh, uh, priority or uh, determination uh, of the owner in taking this uh, club uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the next level. Um, thanks very much. Uh, I, I guess we have to address a, a very big elephant, elephant in the room here, um, and that relates to what happened, I think it was last week. Um, all Scottish leagues and uh, uh, lower leagues English, in fact, every league except the English Premier League, decided to come up with a formula to end the season. Um, obviously, a couple of questions don't know what the outcome of that was, but the outcome has been um, for Tramia Rovers that they are to be relegated. And in the context of Oxford that was sitting in fourth place at the time, um, the opportunity to go on and play in the playoffs for promotion. Um, Mark, we haven't got too long, and, and this is probably unfair to ask you to deal with this in a minute or two. And I know that you're considering um, uh, an, a number of options and keeping an eye on how they play out. Um, but as a club, what does it mean in terms of morale uh, for that to happen in the way that it did? Um, and how significant are the financial ramifications of it going into next season? The, the essence of this is, uh, yeah, I, I, there's very little I can say on it in terms of where we are in terms of the process. Uh, I think the process itself was, was flawed, majorly flawed. Uh, I think it was lazy. Uh, I think um, it's also inconsistent with what's happened at different levels in terms of the FA's opinion on things. Having said that, you know, one day I had talked about this and, and you know, his, his counsel to me, and it's entirely right, is that um, we, we need to be focusing on the positives. And what he has done is bound the fans, which are pretty, they're pretty close to us anyway as a club, because for me, the fans are the club. It's, it's a concept, the club. Uh, and whilst we, we own the sort of, if you like, the corporate entity that it is, it's basically the fans that, that are the club. So, you know, it's really focusing them on the positives and not being a victim. Um, and that's certainly what, you know, Wandy and I and Lukey, we, we, we speak most days and we message most days. So, you know, um, I, you know, I was appreciative of the fact that, you know, from their perspective, having invested in this fairly recently and then when we suddenly get demoted, I don't use the term relegation, um, it, it's, it's not great. The, in terms of the, the motivation of, of the fans, well, it's a question of turning that into a positive. You know, so we, we had a Q&A last night and the fans are very positive and they're trying to, and I'm trying to get them away from this, this sort of victim type uh, mentality. Uh, and, and so, you know, we, we, we will be fine. We, we, will, we will work through it. Um, it doesn't mean to say we accept the injustice or, we, we, you know, we won't um, follow every route that we, we, we have to. Um, I mean, put it bluntly, um, 
anybody who knows anything about football knows that. Uh, and we, and what we tried to do was to measure the margin of error in PPG, which covers things like the fact that we strengthened in the transfer window. So our second half season results will be stronger. So we were in a run of form. We won three away games on the trot. Um, the last three games were all away and we'd won all of those. And we had four of the teams just above us to play. We had a game in hand. We were three points behind. So everybody knows that we had an excellent chance of, of actually avoiding uh, relegation. But we were not given that chance to play out. Having said that, you know, teams with a lesser chance statistically to get promoted are given a chance to play in the playoffs. And, you know, I'm not having a go at Oxford here at all. I'm looking at the league below us. Uh, and the teams in the championship are given a chance to play out. Uh, and even the team at the bottom of the uh, League Two is given a potential reprieve in the event that the, the, the National League doesn't play. Uh, we're not given that. And it may be that, you know, League Two doesn't play next year because we don't have paying gates. So the whole thing is uh, a bit of a mess. It's symptomatic of what I was touching on before, which I think is a lack of governance and a lack of leadership in terms of the football industry. Um, Anin, I'd simply like to ask you, um, not not really how... Uh, Oxford feels about it, but do you think the process was fair? Difficult question because it's a very uh, uh, emotional process, I would say, more than um, you know, procedural or um, what do you call it, logical process, right? I think um, Wandi and Mark would agree that uh, in the last, I would say, like three to four weeks, uh, we didn't know what was in the discussions, at least for me, right? And then uh, there are a couple of uh, delays, a couple of uh, meetings coming up to that. And then of course the result, you know, we're pretty happy that, you know, we can be in the playoff, but I can imagine it would go anywhere, uh, left or right, right? Um, so uh, it is a very difficult uh, moment, I understand, uh, in the COVID-19 uh, you know, environment. Um, so I would say uh, the process has been pretty difficult uh, to digest, uh, uh, Chris. I think that's uh, that's a very fair response, Anin. Um, I would just like to be a little bit frivolous here, if I may, Mark. Uh, we have a, a listener who's actually chairman of the British Chamber of Commerce in Indonesia, and for his sins, uh, finds himself a shareholder with Partick Thistle, um, who who also share having been demoted without an opportunity to play another game, and he is offering you a pre-season match: Partick Thistle versus Tranmere Rovers. And wait for it! In true Scottish generosity, is offering to pay for the beers after the game. Um, do you want to take him up on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll say yes, but if you know football, you, 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 even though we have a Scottish manager, um, they, uh, you really consult with them first as to what the plans are for the pre-season, whenever it is. But no, delighted. That, you know, we, we, we wish um, Partick Thistle all the best because um, we will be following straight behind them, uh, especially if they get a good result together with Hearts. So, you know, um, you know we, we appreciate uh, their position and we appreciate the offer of a pre-season friendly. Certainly there'd be some... Um, wouldn't say unholy uh, relationships built as a consequence of this, but um, there are a number of clubs that uh, I think we we can you know we can we can relate to. And Anin, by the way, you know I do wish you all the best. I happen to like Oxford United, so um, Nikki, my Hi. wife went there. She's the vice chair. She went to Oxford, so she, you know she she's got a. <laughs> you might have. 
you need any uh, you can give thank you so um uh, also uh, from the same question from from ainsley i think he makes a very good point and he's asking you uh, uh really when i make this statement in asking you for a judgment call is there disparity between government support for top clubs and for lower leagues tottenham hotspur have been given 175 million pounds on a soft loan of half a percent per annum. Um, are we likely to see genuine government support to fill the gaps in financing for lower leagues in the same way as it appears it's readily available for top clubs? Mark? Sorry, is the Tottenham loan really from the government? Is it, um, or is it, I, I don't know. That, Sorry, I beg your pardon, it's from the Bank of England, it's from the Bank of England um which is de facto a government supported uh safety net yeah I, I don't know the details of the loan so i'm loath to comment on that um going back to my earlier training but um what one of the things that i did with the efl quite early on was helping to size the cash hole that was coming in terms of, of the uh, the efl and uh i keep saying to them i didn't do that just with them just for the sake of curiosity you know if you're working in terminal and you say well okay how do we fill the hole uh, and one of the work streams would be, if it was me, uh, would be looking to government to see what you can do. Now, you have to recognize again that we're just an industry that sits uh, probably at the back of the queue in terms of sympathy from the government in terms of cash. So you have to be realistic about that. Uh, having said that, it's one of the industries that is severely damaged because of the fact that you know we require paying gates, especially lower down. So for me, I would have been working that particular seam of potential finance for quite some time and if it isn't this month it's next month it's the month after in france they they put 200 million euros i think into the game but then again they recognized that they had actually been much more forceful in stopping you know the playing of professional matches over there so it's not on all fours with where we are and um, i think the, the the loan system that they put in place over here for clubs um, I, I don't think any clubs of lower league clubs have successfully accessed that simply because it's been put back into the commercial market. And, you know, I work for years with banks and I know that they, they, they just wouldn't back lower league football clubs for all the reasons that we know. So there has been a, a lack of uh, progress in that area. I, I still think it's something that they should push on because at the end of the day, you know, as we see this push further and further out, uh, you're seeing all of these clubs getting uh, more and more stressed financially. And I think what will happen is over the course of the next you know, ne next two weeks, you've got June wages, then you've got July wages and so forth. And I think the stresses will really come on over the course of the summer. Uh, and uh, I, I would expect and would hope that there'd be some kind of movement uh, to further support clubs. Um, having said that, you know, they've also relaxed the insolvency process around it. So they may mean that we'll have sort of debtor in possession type insolvencies, which I won't go into too much detail on, but that could be helpful as well. So it, it sounds very much uh, as though pressure is going to be on financially, inevitably, for many, many clubs. And, and that may, may mean that there are more opportunities for more foreign investors and maybe more investors out of Indonesia that uh, share the same sorts of reasons and drivers as uh, Anin and, and Wandi for getting involved. So I would perhaps like to uh, address a closing question to Wandi and Anin, and it's, um, how would you describe your actual experience of being involved in English football vis-a-vis -vis your expectations? And could you recommend taking a stake in English football 
to other Should I switch off now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to other Indonesian parties with an affinity for the game. So your actual experience vis-a-vis -vis expectations, and could you recommend it to others being an investor in uh, an English football club? Uh, Wendy, would you like to take that first? <laughs> oh, well, um, you know, I think um, the whole process itself uh, for us was very, very quick. Um, um, as I said earlier, uh, we were new to the to the business. We're, we're new to um, um, to English football um, as an investor. But I think um, you know, um, I, I I guess it depends on 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 your partner. Um, you know, we're very lucky to have uh, Mark. Uh, as our partner, and uh, you know, um, so far the experience. We, even though we're only a minority, but we chat every day. Um, we we discuss things. You know, even um, through uh, COVID, uh, we um, um, we already plan for uh, for the future. Um, even though we're League Two, um, we you know we replace um, the pitch um, over the over the COVID-19 um, um, period. So yeah, I mean, we're, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a business decision. At the end of the day, it's like any other business. Um, uh, if your partner is, uh, if, you have, if you have the right partner, I think, you know, everything should be, should be fine. I think Mark, he kept a script really, really well there. Uh, Anin, what about I, you? I, I, was, I was impressed with that one. The <laughs> <laughs> So um, I think similar, Chris. Um, you know, uh, one you gotta like uh, your partners, uh, and we know the uh, Thai partners and the Vietnam uh, partners, along with, of course, uh, my partner from Indonesia, Eric. Um, and and uh, and that's important because the challenge is is not easy. You know, to go from League One uh, to go on top of League One and then try to go to Championship League—that's already a task, right? Let alone if you have a bigger aspiration uh, to go forward to the, uh, you know, Holy Grail League. Uh, uh, but you, if you are up to the challenge and you believe that uh, you can bring something back to the community, bring them proud, bring them wins, uh, I think uh, that is uh, also quite uh, valuable, you know, for investor like us. And whether we would uh, recommend others, well, uh, I'm afraid to say anything because uh, a lot of factors come into play uh, when you recommend this kind of investment. But if you like the challenge, you like the uh, set of investors, and 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 you think bringing value to uh, uh, the game, uh, you know, uh, to the community is is of importance to you. Sure, I think you should you should take a look at it. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very, very much indeed. This has been a really pleasant conversation and I do hope uh, our audience, um, I'm sure, will have appreciated having you with us. Um, some of the subject areas difficult to talk about. Um, <clears throat> others, uh, I think, show a great deal of optimism uh, in the possibilities of the existing relationships and further relationships between Indonesia and the UK. Um, in, in terms of sport and football in particular. Uh, I, as a Chamber of Commerce and, and representing it, um, we, we wish Wandy and Mark in these uh, difficult times, we hope you find your silver linings. Um, and 
whatever those outcomes are, that uh, next season you can uh, reshape and uh, aggressively again uh, challenge to, to be in that rightful place. Um, and to Anin, everybody wishes you the best of luck in the playoffs, which uh, start in uh, a couple of weeks' time, I think, or a few weeks' time. Um, to to Wandy, uh, investor in Tranmere Rovers, representing the Santini Group. To Anin, investor in Oxford United, representing Bakri Group. To Mark Pallios, chairman of Tranmere Rovers. Uh, to everyone who's joined us, particularly so many guests and many, many people requested uh, recordings as well that couldn't attend today. Uh, on behalf of uh, Britcham Indonesia, thanks very, very much for, for joining us. It's our pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you, Wendy. See you, Wendy. Thank you.